You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. A couple notes on that, on that psalm. Thank you, Liz, for that story and psalm. I th- a lot of these psalms that we, that we use for worship mention Israel. And they were, stor- they, they were sort of like the, fr- the, the first people, they're not the first, but they were working out this relationship with God in a way we have recorded in the Bible. And, and God's redemption to them, God, God calling them back to himself is kind of like an invitation to all of us. Jesus kind of opened up that invitation then to the whole world. So you can, so if the art director is ever up here like, Talking about Israel, you can we can kind of apply that to ourselves too. Um, and if you're in the, I love that that psalm mentions rock bottom because uh, one of my cellmates was talking to me this week and she said, "I think rock bottom has a basement." <laughs> and uh, it just it was you know we were laughing, but like. We don't always feel, we, we go through stuff and we don't always feel great. And uh, if you're in that place tonight, I'm glad you're here. Um, this is a place where we can bring, bring our whole selves and all of that to God. I want to read um, a parable with you tonight. This is the parable of um, the unforgiving debtor. And thank you, Josh. Uh, it's kind of small, but I, up here. But I'm hoping somebody could read it out loud to us, and we could look at it together. And I'm gonna um, I'm gonna talk about it for 15 minutes or so. But then there's gonna be time for talk back. So I hope this is like a conversation. If if questions come up for you, um, and our friend, hello to our friends on Zoom. If questions come up for you there too, Josh will um, relay them to us, and we can talk together. Anybody up for reading? I'm going to give you a mic. Ben, thank you. (laughs) I sit back. We can do like every other word. (laughs) Therefore, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, They were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had had on you? 
In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Thank you, Ben. Uh, so that's, you know, that's a tough one. Jesus really ends it with a, a big statement there. Um, these para- this is an example Um, If you haven't been with us all all season here, the parables are stories that Jesus told to not just to make one point, but to give us something to wrestle with, to keep discovering the kingdom, what the kingdom of God is in in each of our time and place, in our own lives and circumstances, and, and who he is and what he's doing in the world. So they're really great. These stories are really great for exploring um, I want to I want to give you a little context for Jesus saying this, like when in his ministry he said this, because I think that's that's part of the message here. Jesus had had recently been transfigured, right before he 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 told this story, and that was a, a really special moment when he was like on top of this mountain with a couple of his disciples, and he all of a sudden. He was standing there talking to old prophets, Moses and Elijah, who had died centuries before, and Jesus' face was shining like the sun. And a voice from heaven, like, became audible. God's voice from heaven became audible and said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And of course, the disciples that were with him wanted to, like, like, codify, like, set up a house and, like, you know like codify this moment but Jesus said no we got work to do and they went down and they he started healing people I mean amazing amazing healings after that this he he took um a demon out of a child uh who had been like suicidal he he was preaching and teaching um in a really empowered way after this moment, and it was kind of nearing the time of his death. And so I think, I think what he says right here um, is really important, and it's about, like, it's about who he is. He also begins, this chapter begins with the really famous, this is in Matthew 18, and I, those of you who have been around Circle of Hope have heard us talk about Matthew 18 a lot, because it's where Jesus talks about restoration in community and he talks about like looking out for the most vulnerable and um, taking care of the little ones and um, and that I think it's no coincidence then that that that's when he doubles down on this forgiveness piece that is kind of like the hardest stuff ever right um, and I think it's I, I think Therefore, it's the mark of a real Jesus follower. It's the biggest challenge. It's the thing that is impossible with God. Liz, I could totally relate to your like, how do, we, what are the steps here? Like this, forgiveness is just such um, a big, hard thing um, that seems really close to the heart of what Jesus is trying to communicate. Um, and, and it's, uh, it's uh, I'm going to give you a little, uh, I'm going to give you my opinion about it, like, right off the bat. I think the heart of this message is Jesus is saying, I have arrived. I am here. I am the Messiah. A, like, the age 
the age of forgiveness has begun, the messianic age has begun, and, you, and, and that needs to change the world. It needs to change your heart and your action. It needs to change everything. Um, everything that is even impossible is now possible with God, Jesus is saying. Everything can be turned around if we believe who Jesus is and that he is here. I think that's the heart of it. And so right before this parable, Peter asked Jesus, well, how many times? Peter gets like systematic, like Liz was saying. Peter's like, well, how many times do I have to forgive my brother if he sins against me? Seven? Seven times for the same offense? And Jesus is like, no, like add another seven to that, Peter. Meaning, stop counting. You like, stop counting and trust me to give you what it takes to do this impossible work, this deep work. So I want to start by giving you like a personal interpretation of this parable, like how it, how it kind of hits me personally, and then I want to move into the, um, a more contextualized picture of what I think Jesus is saying for the whole world. So when I first read this parable, um, I... I see. I do see God as the king in the story. That's that's how it first hits me. I see God as the king, like canceling all my debt, forgiving me completely, and asking me to extend this gift of life to this gift to everybody else in my life. And I really did have an experience in my twenties, or like a host of experiences up until then, um, where I really was a mess with anger and depression that I was mostly directing inward, but it was like starting to spill out onto my closest relationships in hurtful ways. And I, I came to this breaking point kind of in my self-destructive cycle and I started to go to therapy, circle counseling in fact. And through this therapist who exuded the love of Christ, more, more in her being than anything she really said, I began to be unlocked by the mercy of God. I, I began to see that I was loved beyond what I had ever imagined and, and understood. And I began to understand myself and my need for God's grace to remake me. And the forgiveness that I experienced from God was life-changing and it, and it was freeing. And like Jesus implies here, I think one of the biggest things it freed me to do was to try and forgive, was to forgive others. Um, God's forgiveness is elicitive. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Um, it opens our hearts to hold grace for the offenses of others. And it, and, it's, and it invites this flow. I love how Robert was having us sing about like your, your way with these motions of like flow. I think it invites, forgiveness invites this flow of the spirit or knowing God, like God's forgiveness invites this flow of the spirit in our lives um, that keeps kind of stretching our hearts to hold more grace. One of the things that I was compelled to do with the forgiveness um, that I had received from God was to forgive my parents. And this involved talking with them about the stuff that I'd been realizing in therapy. 
like where the anger and depression came from. And to their credit, they really owned their part and, and asked me for forgiveness. And that was a real gift because I, I know this doesn't always happen with, with people that we are <laughs> called to forgive. Um, you know, we know that people don't really usually realize how they hurt you and apologize. But my parents did, and that helped me to heal and, and move on and to accept them now as they are. Um, and to keep working on it, because guess what? Like, they're still the same people. Um, they still do the same kind of stuff sometimes. But I am free. I'm free now to react differently and to love them in their process of healing rather than being controlled by it. So the challenge to forgive keeps coming up in other parts of my life. Honestly, I think it might get harder as we age. Uh, we have more reasons, more capacity to cut ourselves up off and just kind of build our own castles around you know, our own individual lives. We have um, a more ability to kind of cut other people out but Jesus' words cut, cut right through that American trajectory. He says, if we don't forgive others from the heart, we won't be forgiven. And I, I think what he really means is, if we don't see who he is, first of all, that the impossible is possible, and, and, keep, and keep working on this consciously, forgiving you know, that, that hurtful coworker, and again, I'm making pair, don't worry, I make this is real personal, but we're gonna get to the, the macro. Um, you know, forgiving that hurtful coworker, the, um, the partner that just won't change in the way you need them to, or maybe it's God that we're really angry at for some terrible situations in our lives. If we don't work with those resentments consciously, asking for help, to forgive, maybe Jesus is saying we're, we, we won't experience the, the, the reality of this gift he's extending to us and, and the freedom and the joy that it can bring. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I have to, be, I have to do this work really consciously um, because resentment is a really sneaky, sneaky thing for me. Like, I... I I'm a pretty, I think of myself as a pretty tolerant person. I was kind of raised to endure a lot. And um, I have enough compassion from God, usually, to see people's pain kind of underneath the hurtful things that they might be doing. Um, so it comes pretty naturally for me to like hold space for people to grow and change. But that also means that it's hard for me to notice when resentments do sneak in. Like, I, I feel all this love for people, but I don't always notice if something is pushing my buttons and bothering me. And so if I don't make space to reflect with God and to tune in to my body, to my heart, um, to meditate, you know, I could... I, for, forgive, unforgiveness could really take root in me. I could find myself, like, yelling at somebody or, like, or more likely being really self-critical. And so I have to face, I have to do this work every day and kind of face uh, 
offenses directly and like do something about it. So funny example, my next door neighbors who have since moved out, um, not because of this situation, um, they, they smoked a lot of cigarettes. They were chain smokers. And normally, you know, this would not bother me, even though we shared a wall. Um, it was whatever, except at, at night, they smoked in bed, and I think their, uh, their bedroom was like right on the other side of the wall of our bedroom. And so I'd be laying in bed feeling like, I might as well be smoking a cigarette. I'm not even like getting the fun of this, but I am like breathing secondhand smoke all the time. Now as I'm trying to go to sleep, this is like invading my, my safe place. And, um, and so I talked with them about it. And every time that I did, it got a little better. And guess what, like I got to know them. I got to know them better and understand them. And, um, my point is, and it didn't like, it, it did not like solve the problem, but my point is it helped me not to get all jammed up and like angry by just stewing on it. It really helped me to relate about it and talk with them um, and, and, and do something with what I was feeling um, so that it didn't take root in me. Did you ever meet like a really bitter old person I wonder, you know, I, I, I always feel like that could happen to me if I, if I don't do something with my resentments. Um, talk, talk about them. Ask God to help me address them honestly and, and give me supernatural grace for the process of what's not going to change. Um, otherwise, I do think we're, we're the ones who suffer, Jesus is saying. We need to be able to let ourselves off the hook and others. So Frederick Beekner, anybody ever read Frederick, Frederick Beekner? He, he passed away this week. He's one of my favorite, thank you, Josh, one of my favorite um, theologians and writers. Um, I, I was kind of honoring his life and work this week, and I reread what he said about forgiveness here. He said, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to that last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. I think that's so true which is why Jesus would make a big deal, I think, about forgiveness, which is why Jesus would be so um, pointed, maybe even like, um, like extra pointed in a fantastical kind of way to make a point that, that um, we must for receive the forgiveness of God and extend it to others because it's about our freedom and abundant life too. Um, it's not because God wants us to be doormats and, um, or let other people be doormats and put up with oppressive, toxic stuff that needs to change. No, it's because the whole world needs healing from sin. And if we just absorb it and take it in as if we were Jesus, 
It will destroy us instead of empowering us to make a whole new world, which is what Jesus is, is trying to tell us. If we forgive from the heart, it will unlock our lives and unlock others. I love how Jesus uses this word heart. Can we go back to the scripture there, Josh? Jesus uses that word heart, and whenever you see heart in the Bible, it's not just like a sentimental thing that Americans have made it into. It's not just like our feelings. It's, it's like the seat of our will. It is like the life force energy in us that directs our action. It is, it is everything that we desire and then what we actually do. And so Jesus is saying, forgive from your heart. Like, take action to do it. Now let's, let's zoom in and out on the parable. Because um, by looking at it in more context, I think we get this other layer of significance and hope in Jesus' story here an even bigger picture of what God is doing. Let's imagine for a minute that Jesus is talking about an earthly king here. Um, one that has unlimited earthly power, like a king would have in Jesus' time. Um, these kings would maintain their absolute power through a system of bureaucracy where trusted officials you know, who were lower in the hierarchy than the king, they would like scratch each other's backs and um, oppress, the, you know, to like maintain the system, but essentially oppress the people who were beneath them in order to keep the whole system going where the king maintained all the power and the wealth. Um, it's very much like the lobbying system, systems in our, in our politics today. It's like, Politicians need to get the endorsements of big giant corporations um, so that they can win an election and then they are behoven to, is that a word? I'm not sure. They're beholden, thank you, to those companies, to the interests of those companies um, to do whatever those companies want. Um, and so that's what kind of system Jesus could be talking about here um, that, that serves this like privileged upper echelon. And, and I think, the reason I think this is a, a legit analysis on the parable is the amounts of money that Jesus is talking about here. Um, almost fantastical amounts of money to the poor kind of regular people that Jesus was telling this story to. Um, the first servant who couldn't pay his debt is probably kind of like a high-ranking official, like, like just below the king, because he owes, the amount that he owes is um, 10,000 talents, which is like 20 years worth of salary. And that was like the amount that like, the small like towns that Jesus lived and preached in they, that was the amount that like several of these towns would have owed to like a Roman overlord, it, it, you know, from a yearly tax. So it was a lot of money. So when they, you know, that word servant is kind of deceptive to our, to our modern ears because we're really talking about a very high ranking official in, in, this, in this system. And 
that's what that guy gets, gets forgiven. That, that kind of debt, 20 years worth of salary, the taxes from, say, five towns gets forgiven. And so, and then the second guy who owes a much smaller amount is still like, we're still talking about a lot of money. Uh, we're talking about a whole year's wages, which, you know, again, would have been a giant chunk of change to, to the people Jesus was talking to. And so we see that Jesus is, taught, is, is, is comparing this to um, worldly systems of power that kind of protect wealth for the upper class. It would be like Jeff Bezos as the king, if we want to put it in our modern context. He's worth $166 billion. The next guy might be Oprah Winfrey. She's worth $3.5 billion. And then maybe Brad Pitt at the bottom with a measly $300 million. Except that this metaphor doesn't really work because they're not all con these, those people are not all consciously working together to keep wealth out of the hands of the poor. But in effect, that is what is happening, right? You know, there are, I learned this week, thank you, Jeff, that there are over 2,000 billionaires in the world. 2,000. Combined, they have over $12 trillion. That kind of shook me when I think about how almost half the world lives in poverty and 10% of the world lives in extreme poverty. At any rate, I think Jesus is pointing to a messianic moment in this parable. If, if the largest amount of debt that people can imagine has been canceled, then God must be here. I think that's the heart of what Jesus is saying. The messianic, long-awaited king has arrived, and a new world has begun. You imagine Jeff Bezos giving all of his money to the poor. I bet it would feed the whole world. But the, the, back to the moment with Jesus. If the largest amount of debt has, uh, that people can imagine has been canceled, then God must be here. And this must be honored. This must be known and followed. It must elicit something. It must compel us to change. It must compel everyone to change. And if not, if people do not realize the magnitude of this gift and share it, it's, it's almost like this king never came. And I think Jesus is warning us about that that, that, that that was happening. That literally was happening. In this moment, as Jesus was telling this story, people did not realize who he is and what he was doing, that he was, that he was saving the whole world. And it's still happening, right? Um, it's even a challenge for us to look at the systems of the world and realize that they're not really running the show, that Jesus is Lord and that, and that, uh, that we're, called to, we're, we're called to change all, all this. It's still happening today when we just protect our own little lives and programs to the detriment of our siblings here and all around the world. If we forget that Jesus is Lord over all these systems and that all things are possible with God. We, we too might be living as if Jesus didn't come. So I wonder if Jesus is saying that these transactional, fearful, 
self-serving, like I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, systems of the world, um, could really change. These systems that require vengeance and like uh, slavery kind of to maintain them. I think Jesus is, is saying, know that I'm here and let it cause you to do something different based on my presence and my power to change these cycles to recognize that Jesus is here, that the messianic age has begun, that we might not just have to put up with corrupt and oppressive systems, that we could start a new movement based on radical forgiveness and generosity. This deep knowing that everybody should have enough based on their priceless value to God. I wonder if Jesus is saying we, we could make that kind of world because he has destroyed death. We have nothing to fear, nothing to lose in the here and now and in the long run, but everything to gain. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.com.